All right, everybody. Good to see you. Those of you who are here in the room as well as everybody online. And uh, let me welcome everybody. In fact, we have people in different places around the country, including the southeast, places like Florida. Uh, a friend of ours does a watch party there, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee. Let's uh, in the room. Let's just welcome the southeast. We'll get to other parts of the country later, but really glad you're with us. So um, so today we are starting a, a new series called How We Roll, which is a, one of the more important series we'll do. Uh, we'll actually do this kind of series every few years. It's a series around our values, a series around our DNA. It's, it's really why we do all that we do. And we'll talk and we'll see why that's important. And actually to get in that conversation, um, I want you to help me a little bit because I'm going to tell a story and I want you to be part of it. So I want you to think about real quick, just think about what you would order if you go to Starbucks. Okay, get that in your head. And then turn to somebody around you if you're in the room, uh, preferably somebody you don't know. Just turn to somebody, just say, hey, here's my name and here's what I would get at Starbucks. Go ahead. All right. See, some of you are making this so complicated. I, you know, now, now some of you, I know it's quick, right? You're like uh, coffee, black. But others of you, you know, you're a little higher maintenance than that, right? You. You have a whole deal, right? And it takes all these words that nobody, you know, all that stuff, which is fine. That's the whole point of going to Starbucks. You pay for it. You might as well get what you want. I, I respect that. I don't have a problem with that. When I go to Starbucks, um, I order nothing because I hate coffee. Um, I, I've never liked coffee because uh, I'm a Christian. And so it just not. But uh, I mean, you know, I, <laughs> no, OK, yeah, I know that's but. I've actually tried to like it. It would be convenient if I did. It's just nasty. I can't like it. But my wife does. And what she uh, likes, what she orders, if she goes to Starbucks, she's frugal, so we don't do that very much. But when she does, then what she gets is a dopio in a grande cup filled up with almond milk with a little stevia. That's what she gets. So one day I'm driving through the drive-thru to get her that, what I just said. And I ordered it, and when I, you know, at the order thing, and then when I went up to the window to get it, I realized, oh no, I messed up. I did a dopio almond milk, but in a, I didn't tell what kind of cup, so it was in a real small little cup. So I say to the girl, she's probably, I don't know, 18 years old or something, I say, oh man, I, I messed up. Uh, you did perfectly, but I didn't. And what I need is, I guess, more almond milk, and I told her what I was supposed to do, a grande cup with more almond milk. I said, so if you could, Figure that out and I'll pay whatever else I have to pay is great. I, I, I realize that. And this girl looks at me and she says, pay more for that. I said, that is not the way we roll. <laughs> what we do is we make sure you get what you want. We're going to make it right. And she did. So I drove away from there thinking, I've got to hire that girl. <laughs> right. I mean, because she embodies the vibe of where she works, she embodies the vibe of Starbucks enough that she would say, oh, that's not the way we roll. That's a powerful thing. Once we get it and we understand it and we're all going the same direction in any organization, but that's certainly important and true of church. And that's why this series is so important. Because this series is how we roll, how what God is calling Chase Oaks to increasingly be. We're not there yet. But what he's calling us increasingly to be. It's what makes us us. And the series is called the way or how we roll, not how Chase Oaks rolls, how we roll, because what is Chase Oaks? It's not some organization. It's it's not a building. It's just people. It's you and me. It's what God is calling us to. And if you're 
here and you're a regular part of our church, especially, it is so important. And this is why we do it every couple of years to remind us, oh, yeah, that's that's what we're here to do. That's why we do what we do, because all that leaks out, you know, and sometimes we'll even get annoyed at different things like now, why does it have to be like that? Or why do we do this? And, and, but, and then you look at that again. You're like, oh, oh, yeah, that's right. That's why. That's why we do that. And for those of you who are new, also super important because this is a major shortcut. Like if you're here and you're new, I mean, probably you're here because there's something about it you jibe with. There's something about it you like. I mean, I know a couple of you are here for a girl or you're here because somebody invited you. You're here to make your mom happy. I don't know. But, but probably you're here and you've come back because there's something you think, well, that, you know, that's kind of interesting. That's good. But, but. I don't know, you know, is this my, I don't know why they, that's kind of weird or that's kind of weird. I'm not sure. And, you know, just like keep Austin weird. This is what makes Chase Oaks unique. It's not what makes us better than anywhere else. God, there's all kinds of shapes and sizes and, you know, different kinds of churches for a reason. And they're all great. But this is what makes us, us. And it really is important for all of us to understand how we roll. And so that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to look at. Uh, several of these, uh, we're not going to look at all of our DNA statements. You can go online and see all of them. We're going to choose a few that either we feel like need to be shored up, we need to be reminded of as a church, or uh, that are new. Because we've revamped, we've redone our DNA, because we did that over 10 years ago originally. And it's actually our DNA hasn't changed, our values haven't changed, but the way we word it does, because language changes over time. Like today's, the original way we said it, was we boycott boycotts. Well, nobody boycotts anymore. Like 10 years ago, it was like, oh, yeah. But now it's like, why are you even talking about that? So we decided to update. It'd be like if you said, this has not never been one of our DNA statements or value statements, but if you ever said something like, we don't beep people's beepers. Well, right now, about half of you have no idea what that means. Like, what's well, a beeper? But 25 years ago, I mean, that would have been a weird statement, but still, you know what it is, right? You know, oh, yeah, I got a beeper. I want a beeper or what? At least, I mean, so you have to update things. So today, here's our, it is so important to this, this particular statement right now where we are as a culture. And that is Jesus sets our tone. Now, you can go online and see there's a little sub-statement. I won't get into that. But uh, Jesus sets our tone. The tone matters. And think about that in our culture right now. Tone matters. Now, we all know truth matters, right? And, and it does. Truth is so important. That's what Jesus came to bring truth. He came to give us life so that we could live it to the full. He came to point us to a better way. And our life is so much better when we bend to his better way. And we're a culture right now that is starved for truth. And people are looking for life and meaning and purpose and fulfillment in all the wrong places. Like I just read an article that, from a secular article that was talking about how we're more therapeutic as a culture than ever and less fulfilled than ever. Because if you just try to find uh, out fulfillment without Jesus, good luck. Right. So we have truth to share that is so important. There's nothing more important than to share truth of how you can have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus and in the way of life that he points us true to. Truth matters. But so does tone. How we talk about truth, how we point to truth, tone matters at least as much as even the content. You know, like uh, 
You know, when you think about tone mattering, right, we, we all can think about how you can say the same words with a different tone, right? Means something totally different. Like, this is my dog, Chewy. Um, go ahead and show Chewy up there. Isn't he cute? He's a cute dog. And I, I haven't shown Chewy in a long time because now we have grandbaby. And even Chewy understands that once a grandbaby comes, dog on the back burner. You know, so we don't show much pictures of Chewy. But that's Chewy. He's a great dog. He understands that. He also understands tone. Like, if, if I say the same words, like, let's say I say this, Chewy, come here. Now, I can say in an angry tone, Chewy, come here. Well, he's not going to come here. He'd be like, yeah, I'm not doing that. I, 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 you know, something's going on. You're in a bad mood or I did something bad. And I'm just going to hang out here and take my chances. Like, he's not going to come here because it pushes him away, right? But if I say, Chewy, come here. He'd be like, ah, you know, he's like, ah, you know, and rigging his, I don't know, that probably shouldn't do that. It's like that influencers in the wild or something. I shouldn't have said that out loud either. But anyway, so you, uh, but you know, he's going to come, he's going to be all excited, right? And happy and, you know, oh boy, this is great. This can be a treat. This can be a walk. This can be something cool, right? Just in the only same words, different tone, because the tone in which we share truth will either, as we talked about in a series on work we started this uh, season with, will either create push push people away from truth or create pull a desire to be curious a desire to want more and this is something is so important for us to get right as a church but again church is just us is so important for us to get right in this culture like if you want to be influential even if you're not a jesus follower right now or you don't even know what i'm that's a weird phrase what does that mean um, I mean, if you want to be influ- we all want to make a difference. We all want to point people to truth and to all that stuff. And if we want to influence our kids a good direction. We want to influence our friends. And, and certainly those of us who know Jesus, we want to pass on our faith to our kids. We want to be, you know, we want to share Jesus in a way that, that people might actually want to hear more about him. And, and therefore, it's so important that we get this right tone. Because those of us who are friends, those of us at, in, at work who are trying to be influential or, or those of us certainly who have parents or you have, a, I mean, your parents, you have kids or you have kids, you know, you have nieces or nephews or whatever. And you want to be influential in their life. You can either shove people away or create a sense of pull all based on tone. So how do we get this right? Well, we're going to get the way we get it right. We believe is go with Jesus. Let him set our tone. Well, what does that mean? What kind of tone did he set? And he would call, and would he call us to set? Because we live in an era where a lot of Christians aren't getting this one right. So what would it look like to get it right? Well, fortunately, we have the Bible, right? And, and John was one of Jesus's really good friends. He was one of the 12 disciples and he wrote about Jesus and the tone that he set and how he engaged people with truth. Now, again, truth is important. So is tone. Here's what he says in John chapter one. He says, we have seen his glory, talking about Jesus, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So remember that phrase, full of grace and truth. Later, just a few verses, he says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. So what he's saying is, is Moses came with the law. Now, law is very black and white. Law just lays it out. 
here's the truth with a capital T. You, you either, if you do it, you're good. If you don't, get away from me. It's, you know, that's, Moses came with the law. Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. And he couched truth in relationship. He came to bring relationship with God the Father. But he was full of grace and full of truth, which is different than law. So he came full of grace, full of truth. Let's examine that a little bit. Now, John was a very careful writer. And so a better way to translate a couple of observations here. A better way to translate this would be full of grace and full of truth. Because when you say full of grace and truth, it can look like it's like half grace, half truth. And sometimes he like shoved truth aside so he could be nice. And sometimes he wasn't nice so he could be truthful. And it's like they're, they're in competition with each other. They're contradictory. But grace and truth are not contradictory. Jesus was always, and this is the way it's written, full of grace, always full of truth. He, he was both, always. He never compromised truth or watered down truth. Because that's not loving to do that. It's not loving to hide truth. It's not loving. I mean, truth transforms. Like truth makes us better. Truth. So he, it's not like he watered down truth to be gracious. Or that sometimes he was truthful, which meant he wasn't gracious. Or what, you know, so he was full of grace and full of truth always. But what is important, another observation, is whenever you see that phrase, grace and truth, it's always in that order. And I believe that's very purposeful in the way John is summarizing the way Jesus related. That he always led with grace as he points people to truth. So he leads with grace, with acceptance, with I accept you as you are, with relationship. And then points people to truth. You can be better. I want you to be better. So it's full of grace and full of truth. And almost always in that order with people, he always couched truth with grace and acceptance as he pointed people to his better way. There's one exception to that. One group of people that he tended to lead with truth instead of leading with grace. And you know who that was? The Pharisees, the religious leaders, the religious hypocrites, which is really ironic because this was the group of people who felt like they had it together. They looked down their nose at everybody and they wanted Jesus. And this was like law. They wanted Jesus to be, to tell it like it is, to show them, to stand for truth, to, you know, be like you, you, you tell him Jesus and you know, all that. that's what they wanted him to do with people that that they were frustrated that he was so friendly with. Like they called him a friend of sinners and tax collectors. They're like, oh, that's nice. But that's not what they meant. That was not a compliment. Because they wanted him to be hard. He want, they wanted him to be hard on these people. Not all these people being comfortable in his presence. And, and, and so the irony is, is the one group that he was hard with was them. Because of their religious hypocrisy. As they obscured the heart of God to people that God loved. And they're like, you tell them. And, and sometimes, I, not much anymore, but there are times where people will pressure me to do that. People have been Christians a long time, maybe too long, I don't know. Where they get, you know, you see issues in culture and you're like, Jeff, you know, you need to, you need to get mad. And you need to tell people and you need to be bold and, and, you know, and talk about cultural issues that way and talk about these people out there. And you need to, you know, set them straight. And that you need to have courage to do that. Well, let me tell you. It takes no courage to talk about people who aren't in the room. That's arrogant and cowardly. What takes courage is to look at Pharisees in the room and say, quit being self-righteous and smug 
and judgmental. That takes courage. I know. Because I have some wounds to tell you. know, But that's part of it. And that's what Jesus did. But with everybody else, it was always he couched truth. Truth never compromised truth, but couched it in grace. I mean, there's so many pictures of this, but my favorite story uh, that illustrates this is one. Now, if you if you've been a Christian a long time, you're like, oh, when you hear the title, go, I know that story. And any and if you're not a Christian, that sounds, oh, that sounds like that sounds like an interesting story, because it's the woman caught in adultery. That's the story. You're like, oh, okay, what's that about? Well, here's what that's about. So these Pharisees. The legalistic, hypocritical, religious elite, I think they've got it all together, and they're somehow different than everybody else. They want to trap Jesus, because again, they're all about law. And is he going to stand for truth? Is he going to tell, you know, is he going to do what the law says? Because the law said if you, if some, you catch somebody in adultery, then they could be stoned to death. Which doesn't mean eat edibles until you die. It means you throw rocks at people. And, uh, that wasn't, in my manuscript either, but it just came out. So you have an 880 pastor. It's not my fault. So um, anyway, so, you know, that you could throw. So they, they're coming with rocks like they're coming. OK, is he good? He's so nice to all these people. Now let's see what he's going to do. So it's a trap now. So they drag somehow. I don't know how they find this woman in the middle of adultery and they pull her out of the house or pull her out of the bedroom and they throw her down on the ground. And now what are you going to do now? Who did they not bring? By the way, the man. Now, I'm not an expert in adultery, but I think it's like ping pong. It takes two people to do, right? So it's not like she didn't, she wasn't committing adultery by herself, but that's a whole other sermon, right? Is this double standard and they bring the woman and not the man. And it's a good sermon, but we're not going to do that. So anyway, they bring this woman and there she is. And what's he going to do? And you know what he does? What, what we're told is he doesn't say anything for a while and he takes a stick and he just draws in the sand. And we don't know what he was drawing. Doesn't say. We don't have a big impact and it leads some people to guess, uh, to postulate that maybe there was some kind of miracle going on that what people were seeing was an enumeration of their own sin because of the response. Because Jesus stops drawing and he looks at them. And he says, let those who are without sin throw the first stone. And it says, everybody began to walk away. They put down their rocks and walked away. Because they were convicted, realized, yeah, I'm, I'm a sinner too. And then it's just Jesus and this woman. And he looks at her and he says, where are those who condemn you now? They're all gone away. They've all gone away. And then he says this. Catch this. He says, and I don't condemn you either. That's not why I'm here. Now, he said other places he's not come to condemn people, but to save people. So go back home and stop doing this. Move away from sin. It's not that he was like, didn't worry about truth. Ah, whatever you want. No, because whatever you want leads to a bad life. He's pointing people to truth. But in the context of grace, I, I don't condemn you. It's not why I'm here. I love you. I accept you. Now, stop doing this stuff. It's not making your life better. Stop it. Grace and truth. Now, when you 
put all this out, right? You got the Pharisees and Jesus. You can kind of see that reflected sometimes in different kinds of churches too. Like there's one way of Christianity or one way of religion that basically says this, accept my truth and then I'll show you grace. Like get your life together and then you can be here. You know, do all this stuff and then you're good, right? And, uh, and, you know, it's kind of like the Marine church, you know, or a group of, you know, it's like you do all this stuff and you, you, then you can be one of us, which is usually arbitrary, all this stuff, you know. But then there's another kind of church. And this is the church we're trying to be because we believe it's the one that reflects Jesus' tone. And that is I'll show you grace and accept you as you are. And in that relationship leads you to truth and transformation. And what that means is in an atmosphere of grace and acceptance, it doesn't mean that, I mean, grace leads to transformation. Grace leads to truth. We don't hide truth. We don't water down truth. We don't, you know, all that. We're going to point people to truth, but in the context of grace and acceptance, realizing this is a journey that, that happens over time. So what does this mean for you? Well, it means some of you are trying to figure out, like, can I be here or not? And, you know, it's like, like do I have to get my act together and then I can be part of this? And you don't have to have your act together because guess what? None of us have our act together. I mean, we're trying and God's working on us, but you think, well, yeah, but don't I have to, you know, I've got a lot of doubts and I have a lot of questions and join the club. I mean, be authentic with your doubts and questions. You do not have to hide those here. It's an atmosphere of grace. The reason you have questions are probably good questions. God is not threatened by them. You, know, you think, well, man, I don't have everything figured out. I don't either. I mean, you kind of get where this is going, right? We're all strugglers and sinners and messed up people on a journey of transformation. And things are changing over time and all that's cool. It's not like we stay the same, but we take steps of, you know, sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back, one step forward, two steps back. And God understands that. That's the atmosphere. That's an authentic atmosphere of grace and truth. And that's what we're trying to do. That's why we're a place where I hope you feel comfortable to invite anybody because that's God's heart is for us to invite people for us to be here too, but for us to invite people in who come as you are and be transformed. But it also means you and I have a job with this. If you're a regular part of our church, like and some of you wonder, well, am I a regular part of our church? So we don't have a formal membership. It's not bad to have a formal membership. It's not the Bible doesn't talk. It's, it's not biblical or unbiblical. It's just a, Decision. So it'd be a fine decision to have a formal membership. There's nothing wrong with that. But we don't do that because it can be, we feel like it just can be confusing. And what I mean is this. In a formal membership, it's like, well, you can be really part of us if you meet certain requirements. Like you believe and then you do that, you commit to do this and this and this and this. And then you can be full, you know, like you can be fully one of us. And that's just not the way we roll. So here there's no bar of entry. I mean, you don't have to believe to belong to this church. Because we believe that the best place to work out what we believe is in the context of faith community. I mean, it's not like go figure it out and then you can be here. Then you can be part of us. This is a great place to figure it out. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of good things to do. But it's not like you have to do that to be one of us. Over time, we'll all begin to take good steps and do this stuff. And, and yeah, we'll point people to all that. But it's like, hey, let's, let's, we're all just in this process of training. So, um, so if you say, well, what then? Okay, so to be a regular part of this church just means I'm open to whatever God wants and I'm here. That's right. And then you have a job to do, I'm going to ask you, and that is to put this into action here. 
Meaning, make this the most welcoming place in Dallas. A place where anybody can come and know they can, you know, find hope and meaning and joy and community here. You know, a common question I get from people, and it's so sad, but a common question I get is, hey, I just want to know before I come, because people will find us online or something like that. I want to know before I come, would I be accepted here? And that should never be a question, right? I mean, how sad that in... With knowing the heart of Jesus, and we're his family, we're his community, anybody would have to ask that. But, but people have been wounded, people have been hurt, and they're like, hey, I don't know if I can handle that again. Like, can I be accepted here? And you know who that group in, in our era typically is, like 90% of the time? It's people in the LGBT community. Because right now, for whatever reason, every era of religious people has a particular group that you're like, hey, everybody's welcome, just not you. And it's, and it's, it's actually arbitrary if you look at it through the perspective of church history. Because you look at other eras and you're like, well, that's stupid. Like their thing's stupid. Like 2,000 years ago, you know what group it was? Tax collectors. That's why he says Jesus was friends, the Pharisees were all upset. Jesus is friends of sinners and tax collectors. Because tax collectors were even worse than sinners, even though we're all sinners. But tax, and we're like, I mean, I don't love paying my taxes. I'm one of those people, I, I mean, October 17th is when I sent my taxes in, okay, uh, from last year, right? I'm, I'm one of those people. Anybody else with me on that? Okay, two. Thank you. Um, but I, it's not my favorite. But I've never thought of IRS agents like, oh, no, not you. You go stay. I mean, you know, right? I mean, it's, that's just weird. Like, why was that? And there's historical, historical reasons why that was a thing. But they would look at us and say, that is your thing? Like, really? People who don't share your sexual ethic? Like, that, or, or even if they do, like, have a different orientation? Like, that, that's weird. They, they, they would be shocked. Um, I mean, in the Gentile world, as the church was spreading, I mean, we're like, America is like sexual prudes compared to Rome. So if they excluded everybody that didn't share a sexual ethic that, you know, is a biblical sexual ethic or whatever, and again, Orientation isn't the same thing as sin. That's a whole other sermon too. But, um, but there would be no people to reach. Like that'd be like, wow, that's crazy. And all that to say is, we just have to be way more careful of that and go out of our way to let people who feel excluded for whatever reason to go out of our way to say, oh no, you're welcome here. We just love you. And you may never, I mean, we're going to point to obedience in every area of life. You may agree, you may not agree. It doesn't matter. You're, you're going to be loved here. And we're going to point to what Jesus affirms. And, and that's a process. And come on in. And the only way that's going to happen is if you and I as individuals make this, make the invitations and make this the most welcoming place on the planet. Can we do that? Because it really matters to Jesus. That's his heart. Now, it's also important, tone, not just internally, but also externally. How we share truth, how we talk about Jesus, how we, how we represent him, right? Tone matters. And right now, just think about how sick and tired people are of the outrage, the tone of outrage in our culture. I mean, are you not tired of it? The polarization and the vitriol and the extremes and, and you know, people on this side, you know, just... 
demonize people on this side or any issue. People on this side demonize people. Nobody's listening to each other. There's not respect. There's not humility. Like every, I think everybody's tired of that. They're still doing it. I mean, still people are like, yeah, that's right. It's because those people are that way, you know, and these people are like, no, it's because those people. So we're still kind of there. But wouldn't it be cool if Christians could show the way forward? Because we're actually told to do that. But wouldn't it be cool if we did? But unfortunately, that's not where Christians are, at least perception wise in our culture. I mean, we're we know this because all these people do all this polling and surveying. Christians are perceived as the biggest problem in that of any group of people. The, the ones who are most arrogant, most rude, most mean, most, you know, don't listen to anybody, just want to shut everybody else up so they can say what they want to say and all pushing people around. That's what people think of us, which is the opposite of what we're called to be. We're not, we're not called to be like in culture war. This is not a battlefield. This is a mission field. We're called to love people and yet point people to truth, but in the context of grace and relationship. Like Paul said, um, one time he was like, these Christians were judging people outside the church because they had a different morality, different ethic. And Paul's like, what are you doing and to Corinth? He's like, who are we to judge those outside the church? Like, like, why would we expect them to live like Jesus calls us to live when they don't know Jesus and they haven't signed up? Like, and he says, why don't we hold each other accountable to that? Like, why don't we get our deal? Why don't we get our act together? And uh, it may be show the way, demonstrate the way, not try to push our morality on other people like we're a Taliban Christian version or something. Like, that's not what we're called to do. And then how we're supposed to relate in just the tone. Um, there's so many passages. The New Testament talks a lot about it. But here's just one. Colossians 4. It says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity, every engagement, every Social media post, every conversation, every whatever. Let your conversation catch us. Be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. I don't want us to lose the word everyone. We'll come back to that. But what is he saying? In conversations, be gracious and attractive. That's tone. Yes, share truth, but in a way that is gracious and Attractive. The word translated attractive literally, and some translations do it more literally, is seasoned with salt. Now, I don't eat french fries because I'm too old and fat, but I like them, but I don't eat them. But for some reason, I've convinced myself that sweet potato fries are okay, which is kind of silly. But don't tell me that because then I can't eat them. So, um, so I eat sweet potato fries. And when I eat sweet potato fries... My brother was a cardiologist. He would not enjoy this. But they, I put so much salt on them that they look like a flocked Christmas tree. They're not orange anymore. They're white. Like they, and I, I, if I'm going to eat French fries, I'm going to eat them with a lot of salt. Because why? Because salt makes you want more. Salt's attractive. Salt is good, right? It makes, it brings out the flavor. It's like, ooh, give me more of that. Give me more of that. Give me more of that. I mean, have you ever tried to eat just one potato chip? Yeah. I can't. Right. And it's that salt that is, ooh, you know, your body's like everybody, everything's in you. Ooh, give me more of that. And what he's saying is that's the way our tone should be. That's the way our interaction should be with other people in a way that it's like, give me more. Not please stop. 
Um, you know, it, that's, that's what we're, that's the way we're called to relate. The New Testament talks, there's so many passages, I don't have time to read them, but let me just summarize the words that we're told that should characterize the way we interact with people, the way we share truth, the way we share about Jesus, the way we share perspective with people outside the faith that we know in our, in our home and at work and social media, whatever. Here's the words. Kind. Now, I mean, it's just biblical stuff here. Kind, respectful, gentle, patient, humble, forgiving, compassionate. And most of those passages also include that, that word, disturbing word, everyone. That to everyone, we're to be kind, respectful, gentle, patient, humble, forgiving, compassionate. To everyone, even the crazy people. Even the people that are way over here. Or the people who are way over here. Like, ridiculous. But when we're kind and compassionate and, all, and we listen, we're to be slow to get angry, slow to speak, quick to listen, we're also told. Imagine what would happen if we just modeled that right now in culture. If we just did that in a culture where the, the conversation is so vitriolic and outragey. If as Christians we showed the way, we were the most humble, the most respectful, the most considerate. Like a friend of mine is a guy named Bill Henson. We, we have a, a podcast called The Good Complex. He was our first interview at the Good Complex. You can look it up. And great guy. But he was an, just a, he was a guy, right? He was inter, his job was, he was an energy trader. Not traitor, trader. Like you get it? And, and somehow he had had this opportunity to, cause he's a Christian who spoke about different things. And they, they wanted him to speak at Case Western University to a group of Christian. This was the original invitation, a group of Christian students about sexuality. So he's pointing to a biblical view of sexuality. Great. And hey, it's no big deal. It's going to be like 20 people there. And so it's more of a discussion than a speech. He's like, good, because I'm not a speaker. So that's great. Well, word got out at the university. It went viral. And so it was supposed, when he got there, what was supposed to be 20 people, he found out there was going to be like, Hundreds of college students, most of whom were not Christian. Not only that, outside of the event early already were all these students with who were picketing, who were uh, upset and angry that this was even happening, that the university would have that there would be any kind of meeting where a Christian would be talking about a view of sexuality that would challenge kind of their perspective. And so they have signs and yelling things and all all that out there, right? Hurt, anger. So here's what Bill does. They're all out there before the meeting, before the meeting time. So he just walks out there and he says, hey, um, I'm the guy you're upset about. Can we just talk? I really want to hear what you have to say. You're angry and I get it. And I, I, I think I, at least I want to get it. And most of the time we get angry because we've been hurt. And so I want to know how you've been hurt. I want to know what's going on. I, I, I just want to have a conversation. And over time, people started putting down their signs and just coming around. And they just have this conversation. And he's just listening with grace. And he starts to cry as he hears Pain after pain after pain, rejection after rejection after rejection. And, and he's able to look at them and say, look, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, you know, we, we have a view of sexuality we believe is good and, and better. But more important than that is 
your, your person that Jesus loves. And I'm sorry that we've obscured that. Well, people start hugging him. Want to know what he thinks. About half the group end up going to the meeting to hear what he's got to say. Why? Because he related in a way with humility and consideration and respect with a certain tone that caused them to be like, you actually want to know what you have to say. And that's what we're called to do. And again, imagine if we did that right now. Our culture is hungry for truth. They really are. They don't think they are, but they are. And they're hungry for a better tone in a, in a world of outrage. And as Christians, we, if all we did was just let Jesus set our tone in our social media posts and the way that we inter- engage with people, I think there'd be a massive turning to Jesus in our culture right now. And so let's do that. And what I'm going to ask us to do is we're going to go to God in prayer and just say, God, would, I, would you help Jesus set my tone in the way that we engage? Because it's so easy to get caught up in this stuff. And God, just help us as a church create an environment that says, this environment of grace that, yes, points people to truth over time. It just says, hey, we love you, we accept you, and we're also going to point you to Jesus and what he says is better. And we're going to submit to that and encourage that. And as we engage culture to do so in a way, in fact, I want, what I'm going to have us pray is as you think about, as you go to work, as you talk with, if you have kids, if you talk with your kids, if you talk with your friends, that every time you would have a conversation about anything, you would just shoot up a quick prayer that says, Jesus set my tone to you. Help me match your tone here. Don't let me get this one wrong. Like Paul said, make the most of every opportunity. Don't let me blow this, but let my words be gracious and seasoned with salt, attractive, that I may know how to engage everyone in a way that can help pull them toward you, not push them away from you. So let's bow our heads together. Father, I thank you for the truth that we have. And God, as a church, help us. We don't ever want to obscure truth or water truth down or anything. So I pray you'd help us be really clear. But also, and also pray that we would do, we, we would speak truth in a way that matches the tone of Jesus. In a way that, that creates a desire to know more, not pushes people away. And I, and I pray right now in our culture, you know what's happening. And I think a lot of people are rejecting Christianity, not because they're rejecting truth, because they're rejecting tone. And God, would you help us get it right? And when I say us, I mean us, like, Individually, So God, would you help us not only as a church get this right, but also just everywhere we're at, every conversation, God, help us to match Jesus' tone so that people will be pulled toward you, be curious about you and what you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen.